Welcome to Beer, Beats, and Business, the business podcast for smart people who appreciate the insights found in a good conversation. That guy sitting at the end of the proverbial bar is your host, David J.P. Fisher, but everyone around here just calls him D-Fish. He's an author, speaker, and business coach. Basically, he's a professional talker. So grab a glass of your favorite beverage, grab a seat, and join us for today's episode. Let's see where the conversation takes us. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another interesting conversation with an interesting person. Today, I'm super excited because the person playing the role of interesting guest is Tom McCormick, broker owner of Exit Realty Horizons in Milwaukee. He's serving all of southeastern Wisconsin. And since 2002, he's been helping people eliminate the noise out there in the real estate market to simplify the process and make important decisions about their real estate, whether that's buying, selling, investing, or even a career in real estate. He is also, full disclosure, my brother-in-law, and he is the father of my niece and two nephews. So we have spent a lot of time talking, but rarely get an uninterrupted uh, bit of time to talk business because of said niece and nephews. So, Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing great, David. How are you? Oh, as always. Living the dream, living the dream. And uh, of course, I'm living the dream partially because of our sponsor today, Dovetail Brewing. I uh, am drinking their Hefeweizen. And uh, Dovetail, based out of the north side of Chicago, do a lot of amazing German-style beers. And uh, I'm going to not lie, I've had a couple sips already, and I'm looking forward to finishing the rest of this glass. I, I know you're drinking something. You're joining me today. What are you drinking today? Uh, I'm having a good city brewing home it's a nice lager uh what do they call this the uh a crisp lager bridging the past present and future welcome home well well there there you go (laughs) good city they got a couple locations around the milwaukee market um they make good stuff good good representing uh my hometown milwaukee i love it and uh, of course thank you to our season sponsor northcut seo uh i've said many things about them over this uh, season so far. But seriously, if you want to get found online, if you want to make sure that you're popping up first, uh, or at least on that first page of Google, definitely people worth checking out uh, Northcut SEO with two T's. So thank you to uh, both Dovetail and Northcut for supporting us. Appreciate it. All right, bills are paid. Let's get talking. Uh, Tom, simple question, but uh, I think an important one. When you first uh, started uh, in real estate, you were obviously selling real estate, and then you went into like owning and, and running a, a brokerage. What were some of the surprises that you faced or that you encountered in going into actually kind of running a business? Because I, I think we don't realize that, you know, the, the realtors we work with, I mean, they're, they're small business owners, right? Yeah. So what were some of the big, big surprises for you? So my situation was a little a little odd in that I went from being an employee at a builder and selling selling new construction directly into owning a brokerage in the exi- oh, okay. in the existing market. And so um, I was I was kind of way behind the curve on a couple of things as far as like <laughs> the owning the business part, um, right? Like I knew I was going to be owning a business, but I, I didn't have a real grasp on how agents were really their own business in and of themselves, right? They're self-contained right. businesses and, and as an independent contractor and what all of the, you know, sort of the nuts and bolts of some of that stuff was. So mm-hmm. I had to learn that on the fly, both as an agent, helping people buy and sell and invest in real estate, and then also as a, as a brokerage owner and 
understanding the the ins and outs of of that part. Um, one thing that I think most I run into this on the recruiting side when we're when we're hiring agents, people go, "Oh, I've always wanted to be a realtor. Mm-hmm. I like houses. I like people." I'd be good at it. I like going to open houses and looking at, and, and I like telling people what uh, home improvements they should do. I like HGTV and I love to point out how ugly that paint color is, you know, those <laughs> kinds of things. And and that's great, but that doesn't a realtor make, if you will. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. You, you've got you've to be willing to, to really learn the ins and outs of running a business. You know, you've got to stay on, you've got to have a budget. You've got to have a business plan. Um, you've got to stay on mm-hmm. budget. Uh, you know, right. everybody and their mother-in-law is trying to sell something to a realtor. Okay, right. You right. know, the latest widget, the latest doodad, uh, you know, these leads, that gadget, that app, this website, yeah. and and it, it can quickly spiral out of control if if somebody's not really focused on staying on budget and, and running it as a business. Right. I, I love what you said. It's like running it as a business. I mean, I think it's really easy. And I, I know I've met these people. I'm sure you have where they say, oh, I'm, I'm a real estate broker, a real estate agent. And then you realize that they sell maybe a house a year. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of a, it's a hobby. And, th- and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it's it's kind of you know, when I started out as a coach, when whenever there's low barriers to entry into an industry and anybody can kind of say they do it, there becomes a wide range yes. <laughs> of quality that makes it hard for somebody, I think, to understand, am I working with with a professional, with somebody who this is their full-time job, not just a, a thing they do every once in a while? Yeah, and and I would echo that, absolutely. And it's it, it is really hard. And the questions that you have to ask is, is this all you do? Mm-hmm. If it's not, what else are you doing? You know, I, I, there, there's a series of questions that I recommend people ask when they're interviewing agents, whether that's one of my agents, myself, or somebody else. Well, what are they? Throw them out there. Like, what are some of those questions? Is this your? Is is this what you do for a living? Is this how you support mm. yourself? <laughs> and so you got to be good enough to support yourself, right? Because right? if if they're not making enough money selling real estate to support themselves, then they're doing something else on the side or they're doing real estate on the side and you don't want somebody who's doing real estate on the side to represent you. Not again, like you said, it's not wrong. It's just not in your best interest as a consumer in my mind. Um, and, and so what I try to do when I hire agents and the vast majority of new agents have to do something on the side, if you will. Sure. Um, sure. I'm, assu- I'm assuming, especially when you're first getting here. started. Yeah. I mean, it's just like any business you've got to build up, momentum and you've got to build up a customer base. I mean, I know real estate, like many businesses is referral driven. Well, one of the things you have to do to get referrals is have somebody that's referring you. Right. So it it takes some time. It takes some time. It's a long sales cycle when you look at Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, And depending on what state people are in, but you know, an escrow period uh, from contract to closing can be anywhere from, if, if there's financing involved, it's probably 30 days minimum. Um, Minimum, yeah, yeah. Because because you've got to get a, a, the mortgage all all square away and the appraisal and all of those things. And on a market that's moving as fast as uh, the markets have been recently in the last couple of years, you know that that takes a little time. Appraisers are busy, um, right? So when you think about it from that perspective, an agent has to get some form of a lead, whether that's a referral or or what have you, for some. Let's say it's a listing. You know, listing. You're, you're probably two weeks to to a month of lead time before it actually hits the market. 
because right. that that agent's got to go and look at the house and get pictures and get a listing agreement put in place and all of those things. And a good agent's going to make sure that the seller does their staging and all those kinds of things um, that are involved and then set up a marketing plan and then go to market. So there's, so there's a lot of steps for each deal. It's not like you're going to, you know, become, yeah. decide to become a realtor and then you've got five in the pocket already. Right. And, you're... and your sales cycle, you know, is sick, call it 60 to 90 days on the, on the low end in a, in a seller's market like this. Uh, so, you know, that's from contact to closing for an agent and they don't get paid till closing. So, right you know, it takes a while to kind of get that pipeline built up for an agent and, and most of them have to do something, uh, to, you know, pay the bills in the meantime. Sure. Um, but if they've been in the business for more than two years and they're not full time, you should question that. Right. Um, and yep. we digress, but, uh, yeah. Well, no, but I think, I mean, it's such an important thing because one thing that I've seen just both, you know, kind of the personal slash professional sides of my life is that, Real estate is one of the places where kind of the, let's quote, say, quote, unquote, average consumer has interaction with a sales professional for something that, that's, that they're concerned with, right? Yep. Uh, you know, their house in this case or where they're going to live. And it's really interesting because if you don't have any exposure, which most people don't, to the real estate world and how it works, every real, real estate agent looks the same, yeah. right? And so you don't re realize that if you have somebody who's part-time, it's, again, not necessarily a negative about that person. It's just that part-time person is competing in the marketplace against full-time people, yep. right? Whether that's in selling your house or buying your house. So it is an important thing I feel to, to really hammer. So yeah. And, and, you know, the bottom line there is you've got to know that they're qualified and that's why most top professionals in this business work by referral is because the people that they've done business with in the past know their level of skill. Yep their their level of professionalism and will tell people you've got to call Tom you've got to call so and so uh, right. because they're top notch and so that aspect of it check for reviews so you know it's, mm -hmm. it's how long have you been in business read the reviews ahead of time you know zero moment of truth right they've googled you before you've ever the first time they hear they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're hearing you the they're googling yeah. you right and, and especially in this business so they the, the consumer knows ahead of time. Um, like I, I don't need to go through the list of questions because, you know, Inman news has published that article a thousand times. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. But it, do your, do your homework on it and ask, ask people who, who you know and trust who to use. And, and that's really the most important thing. Well, and I think that that again, such an important thing to, to point out because as we, <laughs> have more and more sources of information. Yeah, it's easier to review somebody, but it's in some ways there's, you, you, we mentioned this in your bio, there's just a lot of noise out there. Yeah. And so it's kind of hard to cut through. And because of the fact that most people are only doing real estate, I don't even know, you probably know this number better than I, but what, three, four or five times in their life, right? You know, I, I'm, I've bought, two houses in my entire life, yeah. you know, and hopefully I won't do it for a while because moving is a pain, but you know, right. we have so little exposure to it. And, and the other part is it's not just in the infrequency, but it's the, it's the, um, the value. Uh, it's only the biggest, most expensive purchase you'll ever make in your entire life until you buy, your, <laughs> until you buy your next house. Right. Which right. typically we're buying up. Um, and yeah, the average American moves, 
every five to seven years, but that includes all your, you know, people that are really highly mobile and, and move for jobs or, you know, military. Service. Or includes the, you know, your early 20s where you do happen to be in a house or an apartment every year or two years as you're moving around. So, right? you know, the the bottom line there is you should be trusting somebody who does this all the time. And, and so, yeah. you know, that's like the noise factor, the, you know, noise in the market and, and all this money that's come into the real estate sphere, if you will, I'm put, I'm using air quotes there. Um, you know, the wall street money and the, and the venture capital money that, that had gone, had been going into, you know, financial technology and, you know, your Robin hoods and your, um, mint.com and all those guys, right. a lot of that money has shifted to real estate, the real estate sphere, they call it prop tech. Right. And it's, it's all this venture capital money that's coming in to try to smooth the transition, provide you with the, the data, right? You, you mentioned it. Like, <laughs> right, right. You, people, people are much more highly educated about what's going on in the in the real estate markets than they used to be. They used to have to come to us for all the information. They don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. But what gets lost in that conversation about you know replacing the real estate agent and making it easier and you can just use my app to see a house and then write the offer and <laughs> right you know what one virtual tours don't let you smell what the house smells like I, I'm so <laughs> I gotta pause you because I'm laughing too hard now because we did just go through a house buying process. And I had to tell some friends who are in the industry with with a lot of love. I'm like, I do not trust a photo of a house anymore no. because you'd want you'd, you'd see a listing and you'd you'd walk into the house and realize oh wow okay this room looks bigger because they put the camera literally in the upper ceiling corner yep. to try to or i saw one listing where the room looked really big because they were actually taking the picture through two open doors like through the porch and they had just framed out the door frame. So, so you it didn't look, the door frame, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But so th- that gets to an interesting question I wanted to bring up because uh, in hyper-connected selling, I actually used real estate as an example of the, the changing role of the sales professional from an information provider to really that guy. You know, I call it the sales Sherpa, yeah. where you're kind of the resource that guides people through the process. You've been doing this for two decades. Like, what what are the shifts that you've seen, and what are the good parts about that, and and what are kind of the the challenges? And I think you just alluded to one of them that it's people are are maybe being sold a bill of goods about this technology that's not accurate. Yeah, and I think uh, the flood of information that's available to people and the sort of the framing of it, which a lot of that's marketing, right? It's it's, it's <laughs> right. you know it's Zillow marketing themselves as as the source. Well. They want to be the source, but what they're not telling you is that their data is not entirely accurate. And, you know, you can find, you know, and I'm not, I'm not picking on them, but uh, because there are other. Because everybody's kind of doing it, yeah, right? There's other platforms like that, but you have to look at like, where are they getting their data and mm-hmm. and how accurate is it? And, and if you dig hard enough on Zillow, you can actually find market by market data on, on their accuracy and, you know. Huh. When when we're talking about a Zestimate, right, which is just a, it's an automated valuation model. It's it's an algorithm that takes available data. They're scraping the Internet for past solds and plugging it into their algorithm and saying, OK, your house is worth this. You know, I can't tell you how many times I get the well, Zillow, the Zestimates on my house is 
okay, that's great. But what did they, what did they miss? <laughs> right. And local knowledge is not something that an algorithm can have. Um, not truly local knowledge. They can't tell, the, the algorithm can't tell if, you know, being on this side or that side of that busy street actually makes a difference in the value of the property. Right, or how loud the uh, re, uh, expressway is. <laughs> Even though you're a block and a half away, yep. when you get out of the car and you can't talk to your you know, spouse across the car because of the, the noise from the expressway. Yep. Yeah, it's, well, and I would even say too that, again, just because we went through this process, a lot of that data is still trailing data. Oh yeah, all of it, all of it. All, yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense, all of it is. So I remember, Yes, we were um, in a very odd market, but the reality is a lot of markets are odd in one way, shape, or form. It's, there's there's very rarely, I, I, I'm guessing here, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's very rarely years long stretches where everything's just normal, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. we, we, we even had the, uh, the situation happen where we couldn't get a, a reasonable estimate, even from our appraisers, because... During the pandemic, there was no, nothing was being sold. So there wasn't any recent comps that they could look at, right? Right. And, and to, to, that, to that point, the, you know, it's all trailing data because no, no data is publicly available until, until a property sells, until it closes. Right, right. right. So you've got that right. lag time that we were talking about before in the sales cycle. It's the same lag time. Something goes under contract. It could take 30 to 60 days before it closes and that becomes public record. And then like the tax records, depending on the municipality, can take a year to get updated right. Uh, right. for that sold price. So, and, and some of those municipalities that don't uh, provide their, their data online, like t- uh, tax data, that's where uh, you know, Zillow is trying to get that data. They scrape it from the internet. Well, if the local municipality, <laughs> it's not, it's not there. if it's not there, they can't get it. And so right. that estimate can be wildly off because it could be a year off. A year, the data is a year old or two years old. Right, right. And so... You got you got to have somebody who's locally knowledgeable, and mm-hmm. and or has the avail the the access to the data for the local right local market. Well, and and what I'm really hearing is that, and I agree with you on this one that when you really think about that real estate professional, it, it's the that local knowledge is the ability to decipher and interpret that data in a way that is going to help somebody make a decision. Yeah. Right. A better decision without than without. Your local realtor is going to know what's going on in the in the local market. We're the first ones to know. It, right. You know, because showing volume is an indicator of if I if I list a house in today's market and I don't have, you know, dozens of showings in the first couple of days, something's wrong. Right. It's either wrong the price is wrong or the the presentation is wrong which is ultimately pictures on the internet to your (laughs) your point, Uh, you know, or there's a shift going on in the market. Right. So you kind of have your fingers in the wind, uh, you know, seeing which, which way the wind is blowing. What are ways that technology has actually helped you? And and so not, not only just maybe consumers in the, the process, but like, are there ways that you see technology is really being used effectively by real estate professionals to help, their customers through the process. Absolutely, uh, the the electronic lockboxes have been around for a long time, but they they're, they're finally starting to get widespread adoption uh, throughout the different uh, associations and MLSs. Uh, the what's what's that? What's another an electronic lockbox as opposed to a you know the kind you can go to the hardware store and buy with the dial. Uh, ah, gotcha, gotcha. Keep the key yeah, in yeah. on the front door. 
Um, the electronic lock boxes allow us to to keep much better track of who's in and out of houses okay. and when they're in and out of houses. Um, also allows us to facilitate showings um, with, you know, via technology where, mm-hmm. you know, back in the old days, it was my phone number was in the MLS and an agent had to call me to schedule a showing. <laughs> and, and then, and then it was, you know, it was a game of telephone. It was a game of telephone. Like when you were little, right? Right. Right. Agent would call, first of all, the, the agent would call the buyer and say, do you want to see this house? The buyer would say yes. And then the agent would call me and try and, okay, well, we'd like to see what times work (laughs) time. And then I would have to call a seller. And now it's, you know, it's an app on the phone and the buyer goes, I want to see this. And the agent goes, here's the day and time. And like my seller just gets a notification. Can we see it? And they go, yes or no with a text done. Yeah. You're basically like a Calendly. It's very, it's like a Calendly. So those electronic lockboxes and those showing services have, have really facilitated the access to property. Mm -hmm. Um, and made it much easier for everyone because, you know, from a seller's perspective, it can be a real pain in the butt when you could, you know, I've got sellers right now and, and in a, in a obscene seller's market where, you know, they're basically booking hotel rooms for the weekend so that they can just, they can be out, out of the way, you know? Um, and, and that can be difficult, especially if you've got small children, um, right. or pets that you have to, you know, get in and out of the house, those kinds of things. So that has been a big shift, um, and I think the pandemic accelerated some of that because there was a lot of agents. You have to remember, average age of a national association of realtor member is, you know, still in the high fifties. Oh wow! Okay, um, kind of resistance <laughs> to some of that. Right. Exactly. And so, so for a long time, it was well, you know, you just call me, and you'd still see the, you know, the agent's phone or call agent for showing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but the pandemic has kind of forced a lot of that. What do you think is going to happen kind of long-term uh, with kind of e-documents and stuff? Because that was actually something that was huge. I mean, for, for us in the process. Now, what was interesting is that we couldn't do the final closing digitally. We had to go in and sit there and physically sign stuff, which I, I kind of got. Maybe eventually we'll get okay with not having that. But we we had a couple contracts change. I mean, our initial contract was all digital. It was I'm going to be straightforward. It was pretty freaking awesome oh, yeah. that within an hour or two, we'd already signed a contract, made the changes that our, our seller had wanted, and we were off to the races. Yeah. Is that going to keep being a, a bigger part of the process? Than- it's it's already a huge part of the process. My brokerage is is entirely paperless. Uh, okay. The, on, the only thing that we typically see paper-wise you know, from contract to close, well, even from initial contact uh, to close, is a closing statement. And a check. Okay. Um, at at the closing, that is also starting to shift. Um, many of the so the EDOC laws, the consent for use of electronic signatures in in a real estate transaction, the law that governs that was actually signed by President Bill Clinton. So it tells you how old that how law. Old? Is. <laughs> right. Right. You know, but we've really seen that adoption shift in the last yeah in the last five ten years, in the last five years in particular. What we're starting to see too is now the notaries are starting to go virtual. Right. Where you can have a a, a notary notarize a document virtually. Basically, they just yep. have to see the room. You have to have a computer or a phone with a camera and a, and a microphone, and they have to be able to see the room and make sure yeah. nobody's pointing a gun at you to make you sign something. Um, and and if that's the case, then. They, they'll notarize a document. And so once that's really widespread, and I think that'll probably be in the next 18 to 24 months, it'll start to really accelerate. 
uh, you'll start mm -hmm. to see virtual closings as well. Wow, that that'll be cool. Yeah. Uh, and and it, and it was even just easier. It would be easier not to have to physically sign your name just to continue 7, to push the times. seven thousand times. Uh, all right. Well, we could keep talking real estate, but I, we got much uh, more important stuff to talk about. Oh, yeah. So here's my my patented non uh, sec, uh, sexy and suave uh, segue. Let's talk beer because yeah. uh, you and I actually have very similar beer tastes. You know, I think it, both of us in our top three uh, beers, depending on context, would be Guinness and, and High Life. But uh, what 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 are you drinking that's interesting these days? Um, I've been I've been really enjoying the you know the, this craft beer market in Milwaukee has been phenomenal uh, and just accelerating and it's blown up in the last couple of years really, right I mean I don't remember if, if for the longest time it was like Milwaukee Brewing Company who are fantastic and by the way if you're listening I'd love to have you sponsor the show please contact me <laughs> Louis Demise is fantastic it is but that was like it for a while right and yeah. it's just like in the last three to five years just boom it, you know it's funny it started it started a long time ago with Sprecher Brewing right like mm. they they were the they were one of the first craft brewers in the country God, that was back in the late 80s, early 90s. I don't even know when, when Randy Sprecher started, but um, it, it was just them for a long time and then Milwaukee That's Brewing. That's right. And then Milwaukee Brewing and um, River West Brewing as well. And and it was just sort of those three big ones for a right, long time. Right. And then, yeah, in the last five years, it's just pop, 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 pop. I think the, the tap room, um, craft brewery tap room sort of setup wasn't widely adapt, uh, adopted. And that, uh -huh. that changed about probably yeah, probably about five years ago, and that changed, and then and people went, oh, we can do this and actually make it a business. Right. Uh, and and I think, I think you're right. I think that's that's really what what tipped it in in this market. I've been exploring a lot of the loggers. Okay. Um, okay. No, I'm not a now. I'm I'm a little biased, and and I know I don't personally brew, but I know a lot of people who do and have for a really long time. IPAs are overrated. <laughs> you're in a you're in a safe space. I mean, I've I've had some amazing hazy IPAs in the last couple of seasons, so I get it. Yeah. And and again, to to everybody, my listeners know, th there's no judgment. Whatever you drink that makes you happy, if it's a double IPA, if it's a goza, if it's a sour, that's great. But you know, yeah, it's just not for for me, and and probably not for you. Yeah. As well. You know, the, somebody who I know who's been brewing for probably about thirty years, home brewing, and very small home brew. Sure. Sure. But, you know, his point about the IPAs is they're easy. They're easier. You can right. you can cover a lot with extra hops or with some fruit or what have you. So it's it's sort of the, the easier route to go if you're if you're making something. Um, yeah, if you're an experience and you want to make a decent beer, yeah, go for it. Right. So I tend towards, um, as you mentioned, uh, Guinness, I, you know, but you can't get a really good Guinness here. You got to go across the pond to do that. Um, we, 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 we have sat in a, a three table pub in the West of Ireland having a Guinness. And I'll tell you what, I, I think it might be as close to heaven as I've, I've gotten. Yeah. <laughs> At least here on earth. O O'Donoghue's as I recall. Um, oh yeah. But a good stout is always a, a good adventure for me. Uh, I, I enjoy those. And, and, you know, a nice lager, it's, it's simple, it's uncomplicated, um, but they're not easy to do. Like from a, from a brewing perspective to get it right. Like I respect that. So, um, yeah. I, I, well, it's, been, and it's funny you say that because we both like high life and then yep. that was before we, either of us met each other. So we both had the love of, but it is definitely a, it's, I don't think either of us would argue that it's a great beer. No. It's a good 
beer flavored water for when it's super hot in the summer at a barbecue. It, it, it's fantastic. Exactly. It, you know, if if you know you're in for a, a long day of tailgating, yeah, or or what have you, or barbecue, you know, some, somebody's having yep. a picnic. Um, that's that's my go to there. Uh, t- it tends to be. And you can get it in shorties too, which is nice. Um, yeah. Well, we've got to give Miller some love because I went to high school in the shadow of the brewery. You live down the block from the brewery. Yeah. So, you know, we can't hate on them. But, uh, you know. I'll but, never, but I'll never MGD, hate on them. Yeah, and you know, garbage. Um, <laughs> I'll say it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and light beer. What, what's the point? Um, well, here's a question. So with all the craft breweries up there, and I'm actually asking this just so so I know where to go next time I'm up, uh, is anybody making any good stouts uh, that you found from the craft brewers there? Because that's another one that's hard to find a good stout from the crafts. Um, they usually tend to go way too chocolatey, way too coffee Like they'll throw stuff in there yeah, like that doesn't well, belong. They're, they're doing the IPA thing to the stout. Uh, right. And, exactly. That's exactly right. They're doing. Uh, you know, there is, um, and I'm going blank. Um, Don't worry, it's not a test. Just yeah, like, said, this is for me. You just tell, just think of it and tell me after we're yeah, done recording, um, and I'll be happy. <laughs> actually, not not local to Milwaukee, but Manaqua Brewing has has a has a really nice stout. It okay. It'll kick your tail though. It's it's super high ABV. It's a vice presidential stout instead of an imperial stout. Uh, they call it Kamala. Uh, oh, Kamala LA. We had that once. It's, it's really nice. When I was, that was, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a fantastic beer. Yeah. Uh, it's a brewery with a very interesting story. Very which interesting you talk, story. We'll, we'll put the link in the show notes because you're not going to be able to figure out how to spell Manaqua unless we tell you. <laughs> we like Good point. But that was that was an amazing, and, and I remember we had it uh, at a at a barbecue, at a family barbecue, and it was probably a little too high ABV for me to have at a family barbecue. <laughs> I just got a little relaxed. I needed to go take a nap. Yeah, um, it's uh, it, it's really nice. They they did a good job not going overboard with coffee or chocolate and what have you. Um, it, yeah, it's it's although it is high ABV, it's very drinkable, which you know, yeah, kind of dangerous, um, but. Uh, yeah, that one's nice. Um, there's a vanilla porter from, um, and I can't think of who it is. There's a place Tell I me go afterwards. For, there's a place I go for lunch, and they, they've got it on tap, and I like that one. <laughs> we'll throw in the show notes, or I'll put a little tag at the end of the show. The brewery is blank. Uh, well, but that's kind of half the fun of the craft brewery scene, and, and it's great to see it in Milwaukee, is a chance to kind of explore. And I, I, it's interesting you mentioned the idea of, like, the taproom model, because, you know, of anywhere, I mean, at least let's say in the U.S., that has a culture, like a drinking culture that is perfect for that taproom model, it's Milwaukee, right? It's just the, the Milwaukee has that history, the German history of beer gardens. And, oh, yeah. you know, if you look at the pictures from, you know, the early 20th century, the whole family's there. Everybody like that's what you do all Sunday, whatever. You just well, hang out, have some beers, and and that's what a great craft brewery like a patio is. It's like you got the kids, you you know, you do it. The family's there. It's really relaxed. Milwaukee for a long time in the first half of the twentieth century, there was there was literally a tavern on every corner, and you know, and more more bars per capita still than any other state in the U.S. Yeah. except for New Orleans. Except for New Orleans. Well, I mean, that doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very different world. It's, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> And and that was the that was sort of the model was that German culture like you mentioned that where you'd walk down to the corner and and go to the, go to the tavern and that has gone away in a lot of ways because it, it's not as accessible 
to go and have have a beer. Right. Well, tap rooms have kind of not to you know be too punny, but they've tapped into that that market. Yeah, and it's something I've loved as I've you know become a parent and stuff. It's great being like, hey, these are places. Now I'm not going to take him at eight o'clock at night. He's in bed, right. but two in the afternoon on a Sunday, going all right. Well, he can eat his snacks and play play with his toys, and I, and I can have a beer. That's fantastic. Yep. So hopefully, hopefully that that trend will continue. All right, we could we could keep talking about beers, but uh, I think this is probably a good place for us to uh, to finish up. Yeah. Also, because our beers are getting low, so we have to go get another one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom, at the end of every conversation, I always ask my guests, uh, "What's one tip you'd give somebody to help them have a better day today?" It's a little cheesy, or I don't know if cheesy is the exact right word, but put yourself in the other person's shoes. Remember, you don't know what kind of day they're having. A little grace goes a long way. Love it. A great reminder. Everybody's everybody's in the middle of their own story, and not all of those stories are happy ones. So yeah, give give create a little patience, a little space, uh, as you said, a little grace. I love that. Uh, Tom, if somebody wanted to uh, keep the conversation going with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Easiest thing to do is text four one four the numbers four one four homes H O M A S to eight five three seven seven. Easy. You'll get a link. Click the link. That's my app, and you've got all my contact info. Perfect. And we'll make sure we put that, as well as all of your other links, into the show notes. Uh, everyone, it's been uh, wonderful having you join us. Uh, of course, I want to say thank you to Dovetail uh, on the north side of Chicago. I've been drinking their Hefeweizen, and it is uh, delicious, perfect for the summer, and hey, perfect probably year-round as well. Uh, and thank you to Northcut SEO, our season sponsor. That's Northcut with two Ts. Dot com to go find some more information about them, but they are SEO experts. They will make sure that you get found online. And uh, if you've enjoyed this uh, this conversation, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you get all of our episodes right in your favorite podcast app of choice. And of course, the best way to find out about a podcast, because there's only about, I don't know, a million of them, uh, is through our friends. So if you are enjoying these conversations, you know somebody who would enjoy them as well. Give them a quick shout and say, hey, check out Beer Beats and Business. I think you might dig it. And uh, with that, have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. You can find show notes and links in this episode at beerbeatsandbusiness.com. We all know the best way to find out about a new podcast is through our friends. So please help us out and share what we're doing through social media, or just tell someone. And if you could do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes or Stitcher, that would be great. Want to get in on the conversation? Send DeepFish a message on Twitter at DeepFishRockstar. And we'll save a spot for you at the bar for the next Beer, Beats, and Business.